Thank you, Pastor Josh. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. Wow, there's life in this place. It's good to be in church, and church looks different than it used to, but it's still church. It's God's people gathered together to worship the Lord and to, to study His Word and to uh, just give glory and honor to Jesus. Amen? So this is quite a unique setup here with people outside, people in their cars, people in the church, people online. And I like the way you're doing this. It's wonderful. And uh, Pastor Brian and Carmen have been friends for a number of years. And um, so it's a, a privilege for us to be here. My wife is over there under the tent. And uh, we're glad to be here with you today. Let me mention a couple things of why Val's over there. We, we are now, we started four and a half years ago a ministry called Local Church Apologetics after pastoring for many years. And uh, so our burden and passion is to equip the body of Christ in the areas of apologetics and how to defend our faith, teaching people not just what we believe, but why we believe it's true. And so uh, I've written a book called Faith and Reason Made Simple. And out of the book, we created a, a video series that's aired nationally on the Christian television network called Faith and Reason Made Simple. There's eight half-hour sessions here, and there's teacher's manuals and student manuals along with that. And it's, it deals with things like six scientific flaws of the theory of evolution, eight areas of evidence that there is a creator, eight areas of evidence that the Bible is the Word of God, and then areas of evidence that Jesus Christ is who the Bible says that He is. And so uh, this is prepared, ready for uh, small group Bible studies, use in the home, use in Sunday school classes, and various churches uh, are using it in, in, um, across the state and even beyond. And um, so those are available. And then my newest book is a discipleship manual. There's 32 discipleship lessons in here, and it's called Faith and Reason Discipleship. It's not as much apologetics, although it includes some of that, but it's a discipleship manual uh, that uh, to help that you could go through yourself, and then, then you could take other people through as well to disciple them. Jesus said, go and do what? Make disciples, right? It wasn't just get them saved, but to disciple them, to teach them all the things he's taught us of how to observe them and live them out in our lives. Uh, we're working on another book right now on the end times, and uh, that's what I want to speak to you about today. So this won't be so much apologetics as it is related to the end times. I've entitled this message, Navigating Through Uncharted Waters. Navigating Through Uncharted Waters. We live in a crazy time, don't we? I mean, who would have ever thought 2020 would look the way it's looked? We look at our, across our nation, we see we've experienced a pandemic with this COVID-19 and stuff related to that that we've never experienced in life before and wondering where is that headed? We've seen racial tensions and riots on the streets. We've seen anarchy in the streets of America, monuments destroyed, sharp increases in crime and violence, uh, calls to defund the police and, and, and abandon law enforcement in areas. We've seen political turmoil and even open talks about replacing our form of government with socialism or Marxism. It's unparalleled times that we've never, that's why I call it uncharted waters. None of us have ever lived through something quite like this before. And we wonder where is it headed and how do I as a believer respond to it and live my life and think and pray 
and, and uh, live for Jesus in times like these. Well, when we see times of turmoil, I think it's a starting point is to realize that though these are uncharted waters for you and I, they are not for God. He, he knows exactly what's going on, and he has a track record of in the times of turmoil doing phenomenal things. Let's talk for a moment about how the church that we're a part of began. There was Roman rule in the times of Judea and Galilee, the times that Jesus came to this earth, and heavy taxation. Uh, people were, hated tax collectors, and a couple of them became disciples of Jesus, though, Matthew and Zacchaeus. There was temple taxes that the Jewish leaders were placing upon the people, and then they had this uh, 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 wonderful marketing system that worked well for them to sell the sacrifices that would be used in the temple, and a kind of a cushy deal between the, the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman governmental leaders. And so... Uh, a lot of people were very upset about that, though, and there was insurrections that were happening even at the time of Jesus. We know that to be true. For example, from Mark chapter 15, Pilate says this, Now at the feast he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. And so... It says that this stuff was going on while Jesus is ministering to people in different cities. That's what we read about in the Bible. But in the, if you could have read the headlines of the newspapers in that day, it would have been, there, there was murder going on in, in uprisings and Jewish groups of people trying to overthrow the Romans. Barabbas was a part of that. There was actually what was going on when Jesus rode into to Jerusalem on a donkey, and the people were crying out, Hosanna, son of David. What they were really crying out for is maybe this is the guy who's going to overthrow the Romans and set us free. That's why they turned on him so quickly when things didn't seem to be going that way. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and notice the response of some of the Jewish religious leaders to that event. Therefore, the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. Now listen to this next line. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people that the whole nation not perish. What they were talking about is, look, there's a political aspect of what's going on here. If this Jesus, who's performing these signs, is proclaimed to be a king among the people, the Roman government's not going to like it. You see, there was stuff going on in the world that was overshadowing the stuff that we read about in the Bible. The miracles of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the, the beginnings of the Christian faith were being overshadowed in that day by things that were Romans versus Jews and, and, and uh, rule and taxation and all of those kinds of things. As we move on past the time that Jesus was here and the New Testament church begins to be birthed, the Gospels are being written, the, the church is beginning to grow and expand into the known world at that time. But what was really going on in the world beyond that? In 64 AD, the fire of Rome 
uh, destroyed two-thirds of the, the, the largest, strongest city in the world at that time. It would be like if we read today that a, 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 some destructive force, fire or whatever, destroyed two-thirds of New York City. We also hear of the insurrections have, have grown to a greater magnitude. And the first of the uh, three Jewish-Roman wars takes place from 66 to 73 A.D., Listen to these statistics. Historians tell us over 10,000 Roman soldiers died during that time. 25 to 30,000 Jewish soldiers died. And according to Josephus, a historian of that time, he said a million non-combatants died during that ba- those battles. That was the headlines. It wasn't Christianity is making headway into the new known world. The Gospels are being written. No, people didn't really realize that was going on. What they were thinking about is Rome is, 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 is clenching its fists around the Jewish people and the Jews are fighting against it and people are dying. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple. That's what was going on in the world. It was a time of turmoil, a time if you'd have lived in that day, you would have thought the world is going crazy. But there's a God in heaven who's bigger than that, that 2,000 years later, we don't talk so much about the fire of Rome or the destruction of Jerusalem or or the Jewish-Roman wars. We talk about Christ Jesus came into this world and changed the world forever. And his word goes forward today, 2,000 years later, and is impacting the entire world. And I will say to you that though these are times of turmoil today that we've never experienced, our God is still at work. And if we could look forward uh, uh, hundreds of years and look back upon this time, what's in the headlines and on the news every night would not be what we'd be talking about. We'd be talking about God did something awesome. God did something because his heart is that none should perish, but that all would repent and be saved before the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few other perspectives about what's going on. I think it's important to live our life with some perspective. Number one, we need to have this perspective that part of what's going on in America today is judgment. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. You need to study that passage. I believe it applies to the nation we live in and much of the world we live in today. There's a warning there, a prophetic warning. It says, it it begins by saying that God has revealed himself through the things that he's made, that nobody has an excuse, that he's revealed his divine nature, his eternal power, his invisible attributes through the things that he's made. But he says they will suppress that truth in unrighteousness and deny the creator. And then Romans 1 goes on to say any people group, any nation, any a group of people who do that, deny the creator, this is what's going to happen. Well, in 1958, three new textbooks, uh, science textbooks, were introduced across the nation that began to thrust forward the teaching of evolution. And we stopped in 1958 teaching people across America that we were created by God. We denied the Creator. And according to Romans 1, he says, the first thing you're going to see is an increase in homosexuality. That men with men and women with women, those things that are unnatural are going to become commonplace among those people groups. 
Does that happen in America now? And then it goes on to say, beyond that, people will begin to function in a reprobate mind, a, 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 a mind that no longer can even think straight, that wickedness becomes the commonplace among the people. And he describes numerous things related to that, a depraved mind. We see that happening today. Now, back in the time of Abraham Lincoln, he recognized that the country was under judgment. And he prayed accordingly, and he encouraged the people to pray accordingly. And I think we need to understand that today. Part of our prayer needs to be, when we watch the evening news, is, Oh God, forgive us for our sin. Forgive us that we have denied you as the Creator. You see, Abraham Lincoln saw the sin of slavery. And in his second inaugural, inaugural, (laughs) I can't say the word right now, address, he said these words, Fondly do we hope. Fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled up by the bondsman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn by the lash shall be paid by another drawn by the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so Still, it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We need to recognize today part of why our country's in such a mess is because we stopped acknowledging God as the creator. And we turned away from him in so many ways. We took out prayer and Bible reading in 1963 from the schools. In 1973, we legalized abortion across this nation. The second thing that I think of perspective we need to see is that there is a movement toward globalism that is impacting what we're seeing and hearing. That it's, it's, it's a part of the events of the days that we're living in. The Bible talks about that there'll be an antichrist in the last days who will set himself on the, up in the temple. The whole world will be impacted by that. There'll be a mark of the beast, it says globally, that People can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. So that means there'll be a global system. And there has been a movement for years. Back, I remember about, uh, what was it, 30, 35 years ago, George H.W. Bush making a speech and using the frame, the term, he said, this is the first test of a new world order. And that, my, my ears perked up because I had been studying prophecy enough to recognize the importance of that. I believe that we're in a time where there are those that uh, have influence in various places that are trying to use everything going on around us to promote the idea of pulling down America to promote a system they think will be better of a global system. Listen to this. October of 2017, more than three years ago, uh, or about three years ago, An article in the Washington Post, four pandemic simulations, the World Bank and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in 2017 hosted four different pandemic simulations for world leaders to prepare the world for a world pandemic, as though they knew something was coming. Market Watch article, May of this year, about the World Bank says, for those looking beyond the next few days, Bank of America has released its view of what the world will look like after COVID-19 upheaval. 
We expect this pandemic to accelerate many macro trends that would have taken five or more years to play out before, from peak globalization to renewed tech wars and a reappraisal of healthcare systems and government influence. It says big government will be back in a big way. The Wall Street Journal in April of this year wrote an article called The Coronavirus Pandemic Will Forever Alter the World Order. Quotes by Henry Kissinger, who's been a longtime proponent of a world, one world system. He writes that the antiviral efforts must not crowd out the urgent task of launching a parallel enterprise for the transition to a post-coronavirus order. In addition to shoring up the economy, Kissinger argues that the U.S. must safeguard the principles of the liberal world order, including enlightenment values. Many of our universities are teaching our young people today the values of globalism and, the, and that America, much of its history is bad and that it's an imperialistic nation that's had a bad influence on the world and that we need to weaken America so that a global system can be promoted. We need to understand that this is behind some of the crazy things that we see happening in the world around us. The next thing is a, a perspective that enters into the spiritual realm. Do you know that there are things, have, there's battles on this physical level, but they're minor compared to the battles going on in the spiritual, invisible realm. In the book of Daniel, there's so much there about the end times, including in Daniel chapter 2, where Nebuchadnezzar saw a vision of a, a mighty statue with a head of gold and breast and arm plates of silver and aligned areas of brass, legs of iron, and then feet of iron mixed with clay, and then a stone that came without, not cut out with hands that came from the heavens and struck the feet of the statue. The whole statue crumbled and the stone became a mighty mountain. And the interpretation that was given is, God has shown you, Nebuchadnezzar, the future of the world, the world empires, the Babylonian empire, the head of gold, the, the uh, Medo-Persian empire, the arms and, 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 and uh, shoulders of silver, the Greek empire, the brass area of the loin area, the Roman empire, the legs of iron, and then an end time world system of mixture of strong and weak together in the feet of iron and clay. And those, in the days of those kings, he said, the God of heaven will come and set up an eternal heavenly kingdom. You see, there's a battle between the kingdoms of men, the kingdoms of darkness, that is, and the kingdom of light, the Lord Jesus, who is going to come again soon and establish the king of God forever. But in the midst of that battle, there is turmoil. There is a world that there are many pushing for the promotion of something the enemy wants to see, an, a, 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 a global empire where there's an antichrist who will rule the world, and there's the turmoil related to that. But behind all of that, Jesus is at the door, ready to come again and establish, destroy the kingdoms of men and establish an eternal righteous kingdom where there'll be life and hope and joy for eternity that will never subside or end. We are in a spiritual battle. Remember that, that sometimes, you know, we as Christians, when we think, how should we respond to this? And we 
and we get so frustrated and upset. I, I understand those feelings. I sometimes watch the news and you just want to get up and, and do something. The most important thing we can do is pray. Because ultimately it's a spiritual battle. And we need to pray for God's mercy. We need to realize something. And this, I, I want to remind you of something to have great hope. Because I don't know what, you know, there's even some prophetic words out there and visions that believers have seen that see darker days ahead this year before it gets better. And that may very well happen. But this I know. The Bible says this, Jesus said that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come unto repentance. It also says in Acts chapter 2, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. There'll be signs and miracles in the heavens above before the great and terrible day of the Lord and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's going to be a time of great revival, a time, matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel will be preached to all the nations before the end as a witness to the entire world. There's good things going to happen in the midst of trouble and turmoil. God has a way of taking those times and turning it around and accomplishing amazing things. And we need to pray for that and believe for that and look forward in hope, understanding those things. So those are things of perspective. God has a way in the history of using times of turmoil to bring about great things. This is a time of judgment upon our nation for turning its back on the Creator. There's a movement toward a global system, and there is a heavenly battle going on. All those are things of perspective. But let's talk a little bit about how do we navigate through this. And I want to give you two basic things. They're not in themselves profound, I guess, in one sense, but uh, they, they are profound, but they're things that we've heard about. The number one thing is that we need to learn to stand upon the truth of God's Word and obey His Word and just be more committed to it than ever before. You might say, well, that's awful simple. Well, it is simple, but it's powerful. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, uh, or not 24, uh, he said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 28. He said, he said, if a wise man was like a man who built his house upon a rock, like the church on the rock, right? Built his house upon the rock, and the winds came, the wind the, and blew, the, the, the storms came, the rain fell, the floods came and beat against that house, but boy, it stood because it was built upon a rock. He also talked about a foolish man built his house upon the sand. And when that same, those same things came, it, it sunk, it fell, because it wasn't built upon a rock. And Jesus said, the wise man is the man who hears my words and acts upon them. Hears my words and acts upon them. Builds his life upon them. Doesn't matter what turmoil comes into the world, you'll stand if your life is built upon the Word of God. But if you start listening to all the political correctness, you start listening to the, great, the newest, latest, greatest experts and all their opinions, 
And you start making decisions based on that and your life gets sidetracked into that, then you'll be in big trouble when the storms of life come. The Bible warns us that there's going to be a lot of deception in the last day. It's really the hallmark of the last days more than anything else is deception. Matthew 24, Jesus three times warned of false Christ and false prophets. But listen to what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says about this, verse 9 through 12. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. A deluding influence, false wonders, deception. Those are things that are coming. This same passage says earlier in the chapter, it says that, that the, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, even though the lawless one hasn't been revealed yet. There's an increase of lawlessness and of wickedness and of deception. This, I just believe this is so important for us to, to grasp. My biggest concern right now when I look at the world, it's not for me, not for my wife. It's not even for my kids because they're in their 30s now. But I got seven grandkids, and I'm really concerned. And I begin to pray, God, show me as a grandpa, how can I help my grandkids be grounded in truth? I thank God I've got kids that are teaching their kids to memorize scripture, but I tell you, folks, we've got to realize this. He says here, he gives you the solution. How do you avoid deception? Love the truth. Right now, we have freedom to embrace and love the truth without even really any you know, ramifications of that. Nobody's going to try to take your house away if you love the truth. They might laugh at you. They, they might say you're missing out on something that they say is fun, but it's not going to cost you your life or somebody going to beat you up or steal your stuff if you love the truth. And yet, sometimes we take this so casually. You know, a lot of Christians don't even read their Bible. A lot of Christians don't even have a commitment to learning the Bible. And yet we're living in times of turmoil. How are you going to navigate through times you've never lived through before? Your parents didn't live through it. Your grandparents didn't live through it. Nobody's ever lived through times like this. How are you going to make it? How are you going to know what to do? It's right here in this book. But we need to be committed to this book to love the truth and avoid the deception of the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. That means it's God breathed. And then it goes on to say this it's profitable for four things teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. 
teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Let me illustrate that for you. Let's picture for a moment that there's a path right here on the, the front of the stage. It's the path of righteousness. It'll lead you to life. The Word of God is profitable for teaching. That's to show you how to get on the path and walk on the path of righteousness. But secondly, it's profitable for reproof. That means you, if you get off the path, it'll show you, hey, you've gotten off the path. It'll reprove you, but it doesn't leave you there. The third thing is it says it's profitable for correction. It shows you how to get back on the path. And then training in righteousness, how to stay on the path and stop getting off continually, how to train you to stay on the path of righteousness. The Word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You and I need to have a commitment in these last days to the Word of God like never before. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's living and active. Do you believe that? You see, I believe that you could pick up any book, including the one that I wrote, and it's ink on paper. It's the words of men. But when you pick up this book, if you could see the spiritual realm, if your eyes were open to see the spiritual realm, you'd see that this book is not just ink on paper, it's alive. And it's active. That means it's doing something. Even times when you don't feel like it's doing it. Some days you read your Bible and you don't feel like anything happened. But your feelings are not what is, is you go by. You go by what the Word says, that it's active. It's doing something in your life. Building a foundation. And so we need to be committed to the Word of God like never before. Learning the Word of God. Acting upon the Word of God teaching the Word of God, speaking the Word of God, singing the Word of God. How do you navigate through uncharted waters when you're living through a time you've never faced before? You go back to something that never changes. It's the same from generation to generation. And it's helped generations in the past navigate through the dark ages and through those New Testament church times that I described before when Christians were living in catacombs. It's helped people live through times like the Reformation and times like the Civil War. It's, it's helped people live through World War I and World War II and times of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. This book has stood the same through every generation, every world event, and it's the same today. And it's the rock which we must build our life upon in these times of turmoil. And I want to close by talking about one more thing. And that is to navigate through these times, we need to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and live by the Spirit. I like to think of it this way. The Bible is God's word to us that lays out the principles for everything in life. But it doesn't give you the moment-by-moment -moment direction for life. That's why God put His Spirit in you. When Jesus went away, He said, you're better off for me to go. He says, because the, the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and He is with you, and He will be in you. 
He speaks. He's a person. And though the, the Bible gives you the basic principles, the Holy Spirit then makes it personal for every moment of life. And we've got to learn to hear His voice. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 says in verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians 5 says it this way in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. People get confused sometimes when we as Christians will say things like, God spoke to me. Really? Some people will say, that's never happened to me. God speaks to you? And just think about what, are their, what their imagination is, is, what's going through their mind. That every time we say, God spoke to me, some people think that that means, you know, we were in the shower and all of a sudden, Hello, I need to tell you something. You know, that it would reverberate on the walls, you know, the voice of God. Now, people have heard the audible voice of God. There may be some in the crowd here who somewhere in their life have heard the audible voice of God. Most, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but he speaks to me. Most of us have never heard, and even if some have heard, it's not the normal way that God speaks to us. So what do we mean when we say, the Holy Spirit spoke to me? It's a thought with a feeling attached to it that you learn to discern. It's a thought in the inner man, but you recognize somehow in your inner man, you learn to discern. There's a feeling there. This isn't just my thoughts. It, it gets your attention if you, when you learn to hear the voice. And by the way, it takes some practice. Hebrews talks about the book of Hebrews talks about learning to discern good from evil by practice it's okay sometime to move ahead thinking I think God told me to do this not arrogantly but humbly and sometimes we end up saying you know I think maybe I missed it that's okay we're kids learning to hear his voice. We mess up sometimes. But if you never practice, if you never strive to hear his voice and follow it, you'll never learn to hear his voice. When I was a teenager, I felt like the Holy Spirit for a number of days was speaking to me saying, go to Scott Jones's parents. Scott Jones was a friend of mine who I played basketball with in high school. And God didn't say, go talk to Scott Jones about Jesus, he was saying to me, go talk to his mom and dad about Jesus. And I'm like 17 years old. And I thought, first I thought, that's crazy. They're going to think i am lost my mind. But it didn't go away. So eventually I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to obey you. And I went to Scott Jones's house. I knocked on the door and his mom came to the door and she said, Scott's not here. And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually here to talk to you, Mrs. Jones. Well, come on in. 
I told her a little, I kind of introduced that I was there to talk to her and her husband. She said, well, he's not here right now either, but I'd be glad to talk with you. And I told her about Jesus. And she said, well, Rick, we, we know Jesus. We've, we've asked Jesus in our heart. And I said, well, that's great. Praise God. I just know I had to obey God. Now, I have no idea how God used that. Maybe that was one of those times. Maybe I missed it. Then again, maybe 10 years later, she thought of that 17-year-old kid that came to the door, knocked on the door and said, Mrs. Jones, I need to tell you about Jesus. I was driving across the, the bridge across the Mississippi River near our house one day a number of years ago. It was raining a little bit. I typically drive with one hand on the wheel. That's just my normal style. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, put both hands on the wheel and slow down. And it was that thought with a feeling attached to it. I just sensed in my spirit immediately like it arrested me. I thought, okay, Lord. I let off the accelerator, slowed down five or 10 miles an hour, grabbed hold of the wheel. And within 30 seconds up in front of me, probably a hundred feet in front of me, a little pickup truck started to switch lanes, not realizing there was a car there and started spinning as he hit the car, started spinning in the middle of the road, right where I would have been if I had not slowed down. Friends, he will speak to you. He lives inside of you. And if you're going to navigate uncharted waters, If you're going to make it through these troubled times, you got to know this book and then learn to hear his voice. Be willing to slow down at times and say, yes, Lord, I just need to pause here. Remember Paul saying, we tried to go preach over in this region and we were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. You remember that? But then he ends up going to, I believe it's Philippi, and I think it's the Philippian jailer that gets saved. God had another assignment for him. Sometimes the Lord will say, oh, stop, stop. I don't want you going that direction. You had plans for today? I don't want you doing that. I've got something else for you, and you may not even know what it is yet, but that You just trust, and later he reveals to you, and you say, wow, that was amazing, God. Got to learn to hear his voice. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So what about you, my friend, as you're navigating through these uncharted waters? First of all, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because... That's where it all starts. If you haven't asked him into your heart and life, then then you have nothing to hold on to other than shifting sand and the opinions of men. Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on a cross so that you can be forgiven of your sin and that you can know you have the gift of eternal life. And if you open up your heart to him today, he will come in and change your life forever. Most of us here have already done that. So I would ask you, my brother, my sister, my Christian friend, are you committed to reading your Bible every day? Are you building your life on the Word? 
because deception's coming into this world. And what will save you from that is loving the truth. And then finally, are you listening to his voice? When you go into Walmart or you go into work or you're walking down the street in your neighborhood, are you listening to his voice? Is he leading you? You can have some amazing opportunities during these days if you learn to hear his voice. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for anybody here that does not know Christ. Maybe they're watching online. And they don't know Christ as their Savior. I pray that they would pray right now just a simple prayer of Jesus. I believe in you that you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you into my life as my Savior and Lord. Give me the gift of eternal life. And Lord, as people have prayed that prayer right now, I thank you that you've saved them. And Lord, I pray for believers that are watching online and in the church and outside here in the parking lot that you would help us to be more committed to your word and to listening to the voice of your spirit as we navigate through these uncharted waters. Thank you for this church. Use them in a powerful and mighty way in this important area, Lord, where there's so many people that you love and died for. Use this church and these, your people, in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.